Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Father, thank you that you've made it possible for us to come together this morning. Thank you that you've kept us throughout the night and throughout the week since the last one of these sessions. And we thank you, Lord, because it's only by your grace and only by your mercy that we have persisted and that we have endured and that we have been kept and been preserved. Thank you for all that you are and for all that you've done. Thank you for every person who is a part of this gathering. I ask you, O Lord, that you would show yourself mighty and strong, that you would reveal your goodness in the midst of your people. Teach us how to be a greater blessing to one another. Teach us how to more fully fulfill the purpose and call of God that is upon our lives. And Father, for all of this, we give you the glory. Let your Holy Spirit, your precious Holy Spirit, have his way in our midst. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, then. We are um, the Fellowship of King Professionals. And one of the, one of the things that we do uh, on uh, in this session is that we talk about um, our um, observances. Um, this is March, and this is Irish American Heritage Month, Music in Our Schools Month. Uh, Craft Month, Nutrition Month, Women's History Month, Red Cross Month, Social Workers Month. What we did this morning is that because, because it is Music in Our Schools Month and Social Worker Month and Nutrition Month and Irish Heritage, Irish, Irish Heritage Month and Red Cross Month and Women's History Month, we uh, decided that we would call on some of the uh, individuals that are in these areas. Good morning, Bishop. Shoshana Bellamy. All right, then. Pastor Bellamy, how are you? I'm well today. I hope you are. Yes, the Lord is merciful. All right. Which one of these categories are you of Irish heritage, uh, co-pastor Bellamy? My maiden name, McCullough, is of the Irish heritage, but that's not what I'm here that, for. That, 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 that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Um, is that Irish or is that Scottish? That Mac, that Mac might be, might be Scottish. Might be you know, Scottish. Because, you know, be right. Yeah, because uh, Scotland, you know, uh, Macbeth is from Scotland. And, there you uh, go. Scotland. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, all right. Well, but 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 you're not calling with regards to the UK right now. You're calling concerning another area. And what is that area, please? Social work. Social work. Thank you. Now, uh, Pastor, tell us a couple of things. How long have you been in the field of social work? I graduated from the University of North Carolina at Pembroke in the year of 2012. I began my career in social work in April of 2013. So this April will make nine years. My, 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 my. That's 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 tremendous and that's noteworthy. Um, so talk about 
I, I want you to talk about the journey a little bit. Here's here's how. I want you to talk about what the positions are that you held present. Uh, excuse me, prior to the one that you presently hold, or if you've held this one that you have now the entire time. I started out working in child welfare. Um, I actually was granted the opportunity to receive the North Carolina Child Welfare Collaborative, which was a stipend from the state of North Carolina through Chapel Hill, who assisted me with my um, tuition while I was in school the last year and a half that I was in school. And with receiving that collaborative, um, it was a promissory note, pretty much, where I agreed to work in the area of child welfare to pay them back for them investing in my time. In oh, that's school. good. So with that's a year good. and a half, I went directly to Department of Social Services and worked in Child Protective Services as an investigator, um, investigating abuse, neglect, um, and so on in child services. Uh, I did that for six years. And um, I praise God for that because the favor of the Lord had to be upon me. Statistically, the world says that an investigator, the burnout time, um, is only about 24 months, 24 to 36 months. So I doubled the 36 months and did it for six years. Wow. I'm wow. this same facility, um, different group of people because, of course, the turnover rate was high. Uh, but it was it was a job. It was, excuse me. It was a work, and um, I enjoyed what I did. Did it with a passion. Um, I had many people who would always question me and say, "Well, how in the world?" Uh, because you know they call them baby snatchers. <laughs> how are you an investigator? You go mm -hmm. take people's kids. And my mindset when I went into the field was I was an advocate for the child, the child that could not speak, the child who could not convey or tell mama off, this isn't right. I went in with the mindset that I'm here to protect the child as well as to cover the parent and give them the help that they need in the form of, if you don't know what you're doing, let me assist you by the help of the Holy Ghost, not just the policy. And of course you have to go by the policy and you have to go by the laws and stuff, but let me help you in the Holy Ghost to know that what you're doing can be cultivated what you're doing um for instances someone who may have improperly disciplined their child you know when i was growing up and i'm not that old but when i was growing up whatever mama had closest to her that she could throw at me you know i was just going to get that we didn't think it was abuse <laughs> but in the state that we live in you know it may not be proper to do so so um well it was a work I enjoyed it. Let 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 me interrupt because we we could actually <clears throat> we could actually just go right. We, matter of fact, we just let, listen to you tell this very very intriguing story. But um, you know, you come upon you came upon something, and you may have been listening this morning when Sister Hamlin, who works with domestic abuse, talked about burnout, and 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 talked about how. To stave off burnout, she encourages her workers to take time for themselves. Um, right. It it seems to me that for you to have endured as you endured those kinds of uh, that kind of uh, skill, along with just having great tenacity, must have been something that you incorporated as well. And 
she was saying uh, it became a, a word of encouragement for all of the professionals um, that that whole burnout thing about making sure that that's not something that you give way to. So I know we have to close this segment. I'll ask you that you would do two things. Number one, that you would give a comment concerning your present position and, and then just about a 30 minute word of admonition, ammunition, encouragement for professionals in general. Thank you. So currently um, for the past almost three years now, I have been serving the Department of Public Safety. I work in an all-males prison. I actually serve six facilities as the correctional social worker. Um, my role is in the mental health field, so the mental health population of the prison, that's the area that I serve. Those who have received mental health services during their incarceration, I ensure that they can continue with their mental health services, not only just the therapeutic process, but those who may be receiving psychotropic medications. Once they uh, are discharged from prison, they are already linked with the provider so that they can continue with their medications um, once they are released to their community. Um, we found that those who have needs that are being met while they're serving time, such as having a place to sleep, having food to eat, having shelter, and those mental health needs that are being met, if we can continue with those, it can reduce recidivism. So that's the position that I'm in right now, and that's the part that I play. I would say to those um, who are kingdom professionals to meet people where they are, um, I got a word from a friend of mine who stated not long ago, we cannot live where we were and where we are at the same time. So to speak to a person from the area of whence they came, history is important, you need to know that. But to get them to go where they're going to become, you have to meet them where they are right now. And um, um, I'm an advocate for that. When I indulge inmates who come in my presence, some of them may say, oh, Ms. Bellamy, you read my sheet. You read my rap. You know what I'm about. And I'm like, sir, I do understand that you are a triune being, your body, spirit, and soul. Your body, your flesh may have done or have been convicted of this crime, but there's a spirit on the inside of you that needs to encounter the God that is in me to pull out the God that is in you. The Bible says, try the spirit by the spirit. And I carry the spirit of God and I'm trying to pull out the spirit of God and everyone else that I encounter. Well, Pastor Bellamy, uh, we thank you for uh, sharing with us. Uh, it sounds as if we, we almost need to just have a whole conversation with, with you for the benefit of the rest of the Kingdom professionals, I think most, well, many of the people who encounter you encounter you first as Bishop Bellamy's wife, which is certainly um, a, a tremendous position. They um, encounter you as co-pastor of the Life Center in St. Stephen. Um, they encounter you as a psalmist. Some may encounter you as a preacher, but most probably don't encounter you along this line of your profession. And one of the key things that we try to say to our 
um, brothers and sisters, about the need for this initiative. And there are several aspects of the need. Um, and one of them is you really don't know a person just because you see him or her in a worship setting. That doesn't mean you know everything there is to know about him or her. And you always want to be very careful not to presume uh, about individuals just because you've seen them operate in one area, one aspect of their living. Don't ever presume that you know everything there is to know. Our God is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. He is, if I use, I, I coined the expression omnifaceted. And yeah. as he is, we are multifaceted. And so we want to be very careful never to take for granted that because I've seen you in one role, that's all there is to you. Because what it is we've heard from a pastor today is, uh, is riveting on so many different levels. And, you know, listen to her tell her timeline, listening to her tell her timeline. It's very clear that she's a young person. And uh, yet being a young person, uh, as Paul said to Timothy, she's not allowing anyone to despise her youth, but she's being an example of the believer in lots of different ways. I will also say that uh, I heard some commentary that suggests to me that she has been um, uh, tracking with us in the kingdom of God and kingdom professionals um, conversation. And for that, I'm very grateful. She is a very adept student of the kingdom of God. And so we're grateful for that. God bless you, Pastor. May the Lord keep you and your family. God bless you, Bishop. Thank you for this space. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, we've 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 had a, a, a sermon uh, and some other things during this time. I want to quickly make reference to uh, last time. Last time, we talked about the observance of St. Patrick's Day. Uh, and the question was asked about Patrick and St. Patrick's Day. And uh, I, I was so blessed. Um, I was so blessed to be able to share with you that Patrick, St. Patrick is what a certain segment of the church decided to call him. It's not what he called himself but that he was a preacher of the gospel. He was an apostle. Uh, he brought the gospel. Many believe that he was the key individual that God used to bring the gospel to Ireland. And uh, that is quite significant. So St. Patrick was not about alcohol and uh, leprechauns and pinching people for not wearing green and all of that. He was a man of God. He was someone who was anointed by the Spirit and moved in signs and wonders. In other words, those of you who walk with us in prayer and uh, those of you who uh, sit under our teaching, he was a catalyst for revival. That's what he was. He was a catalyst for revival. And so uh, we made the statement with regard to that, that his heritage, then his history has been lost in some settings in some settings, uh, but know this, the enemy will intentionally try to do that 
if he cannot erase the impact of a man or woman of God, he will try to erode that impact. If he can't totally do away with it, he'll try to minimize it or distort it some kind of way. And that's 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 sort of what we see in the case of uh, of St. Patrick. All right. So uh, I went back to that. I also want to go back to our conversation regarding Esther. Esther from the Bible. She uh, was, most of us know she was queen and most of us know she was beautiful, but the on March 17th is the discussion, excuse me, is the observance of Purim or Purim, excuse me, which is a Jewish holiday. It celebrates the deliverance of the Jewish people from the plot of Haman. Haman, as you may recall, was the individual in the scripture who was so wicked that he became displeased with, uh, with Mordecai not bowing to him, that he didn't just want to uh, wreak havoc and exert vengeance on Mordecai. He wanted to destroy all of Mordecai's um, kinsmen. And so he wanted to destroy not only Mordecai, but he wanted to destroy every Jewish person. Unbeknown to Haman, the new queen, Esther, is of the same lineage as that of Mordecai. And so you know the story, I believe, many of you know the story that Mordecai got word to Esther that there was a plot to uh, exterminate the people of the Jews, that there was a plot to uh, actually bring about genocide where the Jewish people were concerned. And Esther initially did not want to get involved, but she did get involved because Mordecai said, hey, it's going to affect all of us, including you. And the Bible tells us that she uh, fasted, she and her maidens, and encouraged Mordecai and the people to do likewise. She went and saw the king, and uh, she strategically brought to the king's attention that which was going on with regard to the plot, how the plot would affect her and her people. And uh, Haman was immediately executed, um, but because the king of Persia, once he made a decree, it couldn't be undone. The king couldn't take back what he had agreed to with Haman, but he gave the Jews authorization through Mordecai uh, to defend themselves and to repudiate and rebuff what was supposed to take place uh, in the month of Adar. It's what it says in um, the book of Esther. It is our month of March and on the 13th day. That's one of the reasons why People would tend, one, not the only, but one of the reasons why people would tend to um, see 13 as a, a cursed number, because that was going to be the number of the date on which the Jews were going to be destroyed. However, as I told you, 13 is not just the number of the curse in the scripture. If you follow it, it's the number of the broken curse. And even in that case, it's a tremendous example, tremendous example, because the day where they were supposed to be destroyed was the day that the king had given them authority. When that day arrives, you all can strike and defend yourselves. And it became 
a day, ultimately a day of celebration uh, through Purim. All right. Now, the, 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 the reason why I bring this up is not just to give a nice little Bible history lesson, but it is to illuminate the book of Matthew chapter 13. In the book of Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, that is yeast, that a woman hides in three measures of meal. In other words, she takes a little yeast and puts it in a batch of what we would call flour. And the Bible says, and the whole batch is leavened. Or in other words, you can take a little bit of yeast and put it into dough, and it will cause dough to rise at room temperature. And certainly you can put it in the oven and it will rise even further. So, so, um, but the Bible explicitly used the term hid, that the, the woman hides the, the yeast in the dough. And, and what that tells us is that God, in positioning you, will hide you in a system. See, the dough is a system, a system of, of water or milk, maybe butter, uh, the flour itself. It's a system. And God will hide you in a system. That is, God will cause you to enter into uh, a system where you're not known for who you really are. You're not seen for who you really are. It's just like uh, 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 Pastor Bellamy mentioned just now when those young men come and say, oh, you know me, you know my rap sheet and all that kind of thing. They don't know that God has hidden a kingdom woman with discernment regarding who they are beyond their performance. Someone who understands that through the eyes of God, you are not what you did. All right. And so God says, according to uh, Matthew 13, 33, that that God will hide you in a system in order for you to affect that system, to affect that system for the kingdom of God. And that's powerful to me. Um, and I gave a few examples from the scripture this morning. I'll touch on a few of them. God hid cosmos in chaos. God hid the order that he purposed for the earth in the cosmos of without form and void, in the chaos. He hid cosmos in the chaos. He hid seed and fruit. He said, let the, uh, the herbs bring forth and yield fruit whose seed is in itself. God hid, God hid uh, seed in fruit. God hid Eve in Adam. Remember, he blew into the nostrils of that one body, the breath of Chaim, the breath of lives. And when it was time for God to bring forth help, he went to the side of that house where he had already deposited help for the man and brought forth Eve. He hid Eve in Adam. God hid monotheism in polytheism. Abraham was a worshiper in a polytheistic context, but God brought the revelation of monotheism, one God, out of a polytheistic context. He hid Joseph in the house of Jacob and in the house of Potiphar and in the prison. You understand, he hid him in the pit before that. Um, uh, he hid Moses in that ark of bulrushes on the river. Then he hid Moses the liberator in the palace of Pharaoh the oppressor. Isn't that awesome? God is, God is amazing. God hid Samuel, the next prophet, in the house of Eli, the blind fallen prophet. 
Uh, he hid David, the king, in the house of a poor man in Bethlehem, in his father's house, and so forth. He hid Daniel in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. He hid Josiah in the temple. And for this lesson, he hid Esther first in the house of Mordecai, then in the uh, harem of Ahasuerus in the house of women, and ultimately hid her on the throne as queen. God will hide you in a position until he's ready to unveil his purpose for your life. And of course, you know, the most important aspect of it, is, uh, of it all is that God hid redemption in a baby from Bethlehem. He hid eternity in the womb of, of a virgin. Isn't that powerful? All right, there's more to it, but that's enough. And so those of you who have this feeling that you haven't arrived yet, or you haven't really risen and exhibited who you are and all of that. Friends, uh, the God who hides you uh, is the God who will unveil you when the time is right. Listen, God hid the New Testament in the Old Testament. He hid redemption in the law. And notice that reading from left to right, that is, Time-wise, the last book of the Bible, now we know that eternity-wise, Genesis is the last book, but time-wise, uh, Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and Revelation, the word Revelation, does not mean dragons, does not mean beasts, does not mean the end of the world. The word Revelation in the Greek, apocalypsis, it means the unveiling. In other words, at the end, God is going to unveil what he intended from the beginning. Amen? Yes. Revelation literally means the unveiling. The apocalypse or the apocalypsis, the unveiling. All right. Um, so if you're in a situation where you feel, you know, you're not being recognized, you're not, don't, don't worry, don't worry. The last book is the revelation. Praise God. But just make sure that when the veil is pulled, there's something underneath that that people need to see. Something that looks like God. In the meanwhile, he's working on us behind the scenes, behind the curtains. <laughs> oh my. You remember, you remember that in the tabernacle and even in the temple, God's work was behind the curtain. The, the tabernacle of Moses behind the curtain. The temple of David's last Solomon behind the curtain. The temple of Zerubbabel, whatever they had was behind the curtain. But when the Lamb of God died on Calvary, the Bible says that the veil was rent from top to bottom. In other words, God said, I need you now to see what it is that all of the prophets were prophesying about and all of the law was pointing toward and all of the sacrifices portended. I want you to see the glory of God revealed. Well, uh, thank you for that. Now, our, our um, 
topic has been, as you understand, our overall arcing topic has been uh, being, becoming, doing. Being, becoming, doing. And we read from the book of Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 where God said, and the Bible says, God had said. Now the Lord had said. That that matters. That that tense, that past perfect tense there matters. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land I will show thee. Remember we talked about the uh, the circles, the concentric circles that God required of Abram. God says, get out from your country. That's a big circle. Your kindred, that's a smaller circle. Your father's house, that's a smaller circle, smallest circle. And you know what? It's easier sometimes to break with the big circles than it is to break from those intimate circles. In order for you to become what God ordained for your life, there will be something required of you. Big circle, medium-sized circle, small circle. There will be some circle, there will be some connection that you will be required to detach from. Uh, let me say it better. There will be some circle from which you will be required to detach, not because of a lack of love for them, not necessarily because of a lack of respect for them, but simply because you cannot take them uh, where God is taking you, at least not at this present moment. There will be required of you some sacrifice. There will be required of you some disconnect. All right. He says, get out and I'm going to place you. I'm going to place you. I'm going to place you in another, in another dimension. In other words, leave the world as you know it and come into the world that I prepared for you. Remember, we talked about the fact that this is parallel to Romans chapter 12 and verse two, and be not conformed to this world, country, kindred, father's house, but be transformed, be metamorphosed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not geographical in this case. It's ideological. It's supernatural. It's spiritual in this case. All right. Today, we want to emphasize, though, Abraham is to come out, come to himself. That is, he's going to meet the Abraham. Abram is going to meet the Abraham that God has ordained. That's the becoming. Be is the Abraham that God ordained. Becoming is Abram evolving into the Abraham God has ordained. In effect, meeting the Abraham that God has ordained. But then the outcome is doing. And we want to emphasize the doing. That is, there are some things that God wants Abraham to accomplish. The doing is a part of the process of becoming, but it is the fruit of the being. And even so, 
there is something that God has called you to do. The Bible says um, that accomplishment is critical to the health of our souls. Now, the Bible says that we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. So in other words, he does not want us to have an exaggerated sense of ourselves. But on the other hand, he has no problem with our having a healthy sense of who we are. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it seems to me that if he says, love my neighbor as myself, I won't be able to love my neighbor properly if I haven't loved myself properly. So there is a healthy perspective of oneself that God expects us to have. And one of the contributors to a healthy self-image is a sense of accomplishment. Come on, kingdom professionals. Every one of you under the, the, under the sound of my voice right now, there is a sense of accomplishment that's necessary for you to feel good about yourself. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons or one of the means by which the enemy can't oppress or hinder or hamper or harass an individual is when he tries to show him or her uh, that what he or she has accomplished does not have value or that, frankly, he or she hasn't accomplished anything. All of us battle with that or have battled with that. A sense of no achievement or a sense of minimal achievement. You haven't accomplished. The Bible says again, Proverbs 13, 19, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. What's the opposite of sweet? Bitter. There are many people who are in bitterness of soul because of the fact that they don't have a sense of accomplishment. All right. Adequate accomplishment. I'm 60 years old and I haven't done, or I'm 50 year, years old, I haven't done, I'm 40, 30, 20, and I haven't, whatever it might be. Accomplishment is a critical aspect of our sense of self. And as I said, the opposite of sweet is bitter. And there are some people who are bitter in life because they do not have a sense of accomplishment. The Bible says the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. So it's possible then without having the desire accomplished for an individual to have bitterness. If you don't believe me, go to uh, the book of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and we find that Hannah, her desire was to be a mother. Isn't that true? She wanted to bring forth a son for her husband. Now, in our culture, that might not be your desire, but don't 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 frown on her because that's her desire. Okay? It's your desire, your soul. All right? This is her desire, her soul. She wants to give birth to a son and and it's very practical. Number 1, uh a woman who could not give birth to a son for her husband was often considered less than a worthy wife. Secondly, she lived in a culture where the breadwinner was the male. And so women were dependent upon their fathers, their brothers, and their sons, um, or their husbands, husband, father, brother, or son, to be able to survive economically. 
And so there's a practical side there as well. And because she has not had her desire accomplished, what does the Bible say about her? It says she was in bitterness of soul, the exact opposite of what Proverbs 13, 19 says. Proverbs 13, 19 says the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. Well, if her desire is not accomplished, there's bitterness of, now we understand why she's in bitterness of soul, along with the fact that the Bible says there's an adversary vexing her. What is that adversary vexing her about? A lack of accomplishment. You haven't accomplished. You haven't achieved. You don't have your diploma. You don't even have a GED. You don't have an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, a master's, a doctorate. You don't have a husband. You don't have a wife. You don't have children. You don't own a house. You don't own a vehicle. You don't have uh, uh, investments yet. You don't, you understand all of those pieces. All of those pieces can cause bitterness of soul. And if you want the bitterness to become even more bitter, start comparing yourself to somebody else. Oh my. The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. Conversely, the desire left unaccomplished can bring about bitterness of soul. And some of you, under the sound of my voice, no doubt, are dealing with soul bitterness right now because there are things that you desired to have accomplished that you have not as yet. And there's a way out of that. And you know that ultimately Jesus is the way and your relationship with him is the way. But it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a critical aspect of how we see ourselves. It, it affects our sense of identity. Uh, not only that, it shouldn't surprise us that we want to accomplish because we were created in the image and after the likeness of the accomplisher. In other words, it should not surprise us that we want to do something significant, being, becoming, doing. It shouldn't surprise us that we want to do something significant because we were created by the God who always does that which is significant. And we bear his likeness. We bear his likeness. All right. So the fact that you want to do something significant, that don't let anybody ever rain on that parade. Don't let anybody ever uh, uh, shush you or, or frown upon you because you desire to accomplish more than what you presently accomplished. It came from God. It came from God. Jesus said, he that will be great among you let him be servant of all. But notice what Jesus did not do. He never did reprove or rebuke his disciples for wanting to be great. He never, he never said, you want to be great? Oh, come out of here, Satan. You're a lying wonder. He never did that. Absolutely not. Because the impulse to do great things, the impulse to be great comes from God. What doesn't come from God is a worldly perspective as to how that greatness is accomplished. The world says, step on people. The world says, be proud and be arrogant. Jesus says, I'm not going to take away from you the greatness gene because you got it from me. I'm not going to take away from you the greatness impulse because that's my likeness, but I'm going to redirect, recalibrate, realign 
your tendency toward greatness so that you will understand how the greatness of God operates and how if you're going to truly walk in greatness, you'll have to do it the way God does. All right. Uh, your sense of identity is associated with a sense of accomplishment, doing something significant, something great. I'm telling you that it is legitimate because you were created in the image and after the likeness of God. Thirdly, your accomplishment, your doing, is a part of uh, how you are identified by others. I gave the illustration this morning. You sit on the plane and uh, you're sitting there with someone that you've never seen before and you decide to strike up a conversation or maybe the person decides to strike up a conversation. The questions range from things like, well, what's your name? And that may not be the beginning. The beginning may be where you're headed. But somewhere along the line, as they are seeking to learn your identity, or maybe you're in a, a, a conference, in a meeting where you're just sitting in a group, at some point, the question comes up, what do you do? Because in the mind of that listener, what you do is a part of your identity. What you do is a major player in terms of your identity. As a matter of fact, sometimes to our fault and detriment, we presume that when we hear what somebody does professionally, that we know some things about that person that we may or may not know. I've had the experience that when someone heard that I was an English teacher, immediately, uh-oh, I better watch the way I talk around you. I gave the illustration again this morning that there are those who, <clears throat> uh, if you make it known that you have a... Uh, a medical degree, a medical profession, you understand, nurse practitioner, nurse doctor, um, immediately they go to, oh, you know, my grandmother has uh, this condition, or my mother has this, or you know what, I, I, I have this pain in my arm. <laughs> you understand, there's something about, there's something about what you do that it gives people a sense of identity as to who you are. Come on, go past the Bellamy. I don't bother people. I don't go around as the grammar police or the English police. I don't do that. As a matter of fact, um, I, I correct myself more than anybody else because sometimes just in the course of, 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 of speaking rapidly or, or just using the jargon or the dialect of the region, sometimes we can go into another vein and we have to come back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, you know that was not standard English. Just like Right then when I said you have, you know, I pronounced the word have, half, that's colloquial for us. That's that's regional for us. I know it's H-A-V-E. I know it's have, but we tend to say half, H-A-F-F, <laughs> -A -F -F, um, phonetically. Okay. Well, anyway, my point simply is people tend to identify other people and even make presumptions and assumptions about other people based upon what they do. What do you do? Oh, you're a nurse? Hmm. You're a chef? You're awfully thin to be a chef. You understand? Some of those things. <laughs> All right, Pastor Horn. You understand. 
there are assumptions and presumptions that we tend to make about people based on what they do. That's just how significant, though, the doing is. Um, I'm going to have to close. Have to close. I'm going to have to close. <laughs> God is the doer. And there's a beautiful passage in the book of John chapter 9 where Jesus is about to heal a blind man. And he says these words, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. In other words, may I say it this way, I must do the doings of him that sent me. What are God's doings? What are God's works? Remember this, and we're closing. Thank you for being with me. We're closing right here. When you read the Bible and when you grasp a sense of the continuity of the scripture, it comes out very clearly that God has one work that is two-pronged, or if you prefer, God has two works that are intimately, integrally related one to the other. God's first great work is creation. His second great work is redemption. He created the world, the earth. He created the earth. He created mankind. And all of it fell. And he activated the plan that he'd already made to redeem it. God's work is one twofold work to make a world. That's what we see him doing in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. And then when that world falls into sin in Genesis chapter three, from Genesis three all the way through Revelation 20. He's making that world better. It's called redemption, creation, redemption. Now, here's how that relates to you. Take any career, any profession, any vocation that you or I have, they fall under one of those categories. I'll talk about it further next time. But either you are employed in making a world or in making a world better. I mean, in your case, in my case, microcosmically. He did it macrocosmically. He did it. Uh, for all of create all of reality. But what I'm saying is that if you're an entrepreneur, for example, you're making a world. If you're a business developer, you're making a world. You're, you're, you're creating, what is a world? A system. Or if you work within some organization, you work within some corporation, you work within some enterprise, you're there now not to make it, but to make it better, whether that's to maintain it, whether that's to innovate within it, but you're called to either make a world or to make that world better. An example of making the world better, for example, would be if you're in the research and development department in uh, Tesla, it means that there's already a world of electric vehicles, but you're working to refine that world, make that world better, make that electric vehicle more accessible to the masses of the populace. You see it? Everything we do is either making a world, making a system, or making a system better. In the case of the physician, 
he or she is not making the body, but oh my, he or she is employed in making the body better. On the other hand, the physician can be employed in making a system of health care, of physical care, of psychological, mental, emotional, holistic care, making that system. Or if that system presently exists as a hospital, as a practice, then they're working to make that system better. You see it? And all of us, these are the works of God. Make a world, make a world better. Creation, redemption. Those are the doings to which we are called. We'll talk more about it later as we conclude this unit entitled Being, Becoming, and Doing. But aren't you excited about the fact that you've been called alongside God? 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we are laborers together with God. Go back and look at your employment. Go back and look at your job. Go back and look at what it is that you do every day and look at it through the lens of the kingdom. I think it'll change your perspective. I think it will cause you to gain a greater appreciation and a greater sense of accomplishment. You're working to either make a world or to make a world better. This is the work of God. All right. Well, our time has come and gone. I want to thank you for yours. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for being with us here in this session of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals Monday Inspirational Moments. You be encouraged. You're working together with God. And God always accomplishes great things. Don't let your soul be bitter. Let your soul be sweetened by the influence of the king and of his kingdom. Until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of the Kingdom Professionals saying to you, go forth today and do what? Lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, let us bring pleasure to Christ's heart and let us bring fame to his name. Until we meet again, may the peace of God go with Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.